What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Good morning, San Antonio leaders. Happy Saturday and happy day two of Fiesta. If you are not already stepping up your Fiesta medal game, there is still time, and I hope you grabbed a free San Antonio School Finder Fiesta medal. If not, please make sure that you grab it on your way out. My name is Dalia Flores Contreras, and I am the Senior Director of Community Engagement for City Education Partners. And I'd like to formally, on behalf of City Education Partners and my colleague Brian Regner, who's back there raising his hand, and my colleague Chris Mammon, who's back there and raising his hand as well, we would like to welcome you to our house. And like our family, whenever you come to our house, will we say, mi casa es tu casa? So this is your house too. Today is a historical event. We are making history today. Right now in San Antonio, San Antonio School Finder does not exist. San Antonio School Finder is a tool that we get to build together. And we get to build a tool where all San Antonio families, current and prospective families that move here because of the military, that change neighborhoods, get to have access to a platform that is equitable, it's in their language, it is easy to navigate, and it shows them all of the amazing public school options in the city in a one-stop shop so that they do not have to go to many different websites and many different platforms and get lost in the web. And this is the very first ever training for leaders on storytelling that is going to go into San Antonio School Finder. So today is historic. But we have today people from all across the city in San Antonio who are investing in our beautiful, amazing, talented children so that they can live choice-filled lives and command their future. And you're here today investing in yourself and your learning and thinking about how to really, in a robust and engaging way, communicate to parents about the amazing things happening in your school. So thank you so much for being here today. It is our goal to do three things today. Nurture your mind with amazing professional development. Thank you, key ideas and miseducation. Where are you? Woo! Key ideas, miseducation, and AIM Consulting, who are leading today's session. Um, and we also want to nurture your body. I hope that you enjoyed the food. The mimosas are going to be around until you leave, as well as coffee, and there's water. Um, and also nurture your spirit. You all are in the trenches every day doing really important work. And today you get to relax a little. You went through the first big star. You get to take a little break. You get to step on the balcony and do some reflecting and fellowship with all of these great people. So take advantage of that. Build some relationships. Build some partnerships. Make some new friends. Because it's not every day that we get to be in a space like this. Okay, enough, enough, enough. Now, it is my pleasure to welcome our keynote speaker, Dr. Brian Woods. Dr. Woods. Dr. Woods has, yes, I have a few things to say about him though, but clap away. My very first teaching experience ever was in Northside at Zachary. I think someone from Zachary is here. Yay! Um, and when I was Trying to be, aspiring to be an assistant principal, I got in the AIM program. And the AIM program was a program that Dr. Woods was leading at the helm. And it was this amazing opportunity for aspiring principals and aspiring assistant principals to come and learn. And from the moment I met him, 
I was like, this is such a cool person. His uh, leadership, his demeanor, his resolve, his words, and his way were inspirational to me. And Dr. Woods, even though we have our paths have crossed and I went to Chicago and I came back. You've always in the, been in the back of my head as one of these leaders that I really appreciate and admire. And so I am honored to have you here today. We're excited to have you kick us off. Dr. Ward serves as the superintendent from Northside Independent School District. And if you would join me in kindly welcoming him, Dr. Woods. Good morning. It's uh, great to be with you on a Saturday. Many of you who signed up for this event more than a few days ago know that uh, Ron Nuremberg was supposed to be here, so I'm a very poor substitute for, uh, for our mayor, so I'll just apologize up front for that. Uh, I am not Ron Nuremberg, uh, uh, but I hope to uh, say a few things that will ring true to you uh, about this project and about the work we do um, in San Antonio area public schools. So. Um, you have, uh, I don't know that I've ever seen any uh, school people treated any better on a Saturday morning than you've already been treated today, right? I got here and I walked over and I said, sure enough, they're pouring mimosas for school people. <laughs> and, you know, part of my heart says, oh my God, that's not, that's, not, that's not okay, right? We don't do that, but it is Saturday. So I hope that you enjoy your mimosa and I hope that you enjoy uh, what you hear today and I hope you really get to take something out of it. So, I was approached about School Finder uh, a long time ago, and I have uh, been thinking about this for a long time in other contexts. I think nobody in this room um, fails to understand the kind of competitive environment in which we do our work. And for those of us who have been doing this work for a long time, that's changed over time, right? That, that is not the way that it necessarily always was. And so our thinking has really had to mature. And, and so this notion of talking about School Finder, I think, has, has helped mature my thinking uh, as well. So um, I'll say that I and others have really appreciated the patience of the School Finder folks as we pushed back on them and talked through issues. Uh, and Dahlia's over there smiling because I'm sure that they had closed doors meetings where they said, we are never inviting those superintendents back again, ever. They are not welcome in this project anymore. So I'll just say I really appreciate their patience because they've gotten a lot of feedback. You know, you have some staff or parents at your schools that give you lots of feedback. Whether you ask or not, they've received lots of feedback on this project. But what I think you'll see is the result of that feedback um, is something that's good, right? Is something that's, that's going to be a good uh, end project. So the goal of this, um, and I'll, again, I'll compliment the school finder folks, the goal of this has always been, um, since at least since I've heard about this project, to allow all public schools in our area to have a real say in telling their story. So that it's not just what you find on the realtor websites, it's not just the TEA, A through F, and I'll save you that rant this morning. Um, it's not just that, right? It's you and your folks, the people who really care about your school, the parents who are there, the teachers who are long time there, the people who really care about your school community can come together and say, okay, how are, what are the things we're going to say about our school? And so some of you are going to emphasize robotics, and some of you are going to emphasize the Young Astronauts Club, and some of you are going to emphasize athletics or the fine arts, or whatever it is, that, or all those things, that sets your school apart, that, sets, that really shows folks why your school is the very best place to be. The other thing I, I assume, by your being here on a Saturday morning, is that you believe that your school is the very best place to be. And you are listing in your head now and probably every hour on the hour all the ways that your school is great. And so this notion of, telling your story is really not, for you, terribly challenging. You can already, you, you know what your story is, right? But I think, and I, 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 I'll say this about myself, and, and, and I assume that it's true of at least some of you, when we were coming up in this business, in training, or when we started in, in the roles that we have now, the notion of marketing ourselves, of telling our story, was not something anybody came to us and taught us how to do. Certainly not with me, right? 
And that's, for many of us, I think, this, this notion of how do you do that really well is something we need help with. So it's the reason why I asked some of our principals to come today. It's the reason why I agreed to come today. I hope that what you will get from this is some skills for yourself and for some of your key folks to really help tell your story. And to do it, with certainly with School Finder, but to do it in every way that you interact, right? To do it in all the ways that you interact with your public, whatever that looks like in your community, so that you've got the skills to really tell your story um, well. How many of you think that the A through F accountability system tells the story of your school? Okay, pretty much assumed that was the answer I was gonna get. You know, you always be afraid to ask a question without knowing the answer, but pretty much assumed that was the answer I was gonna get. So if we allow state policymakers or the, or the agency to tell our story, A through F's all we got, right? That's it, that's what's out there, that's what's public. We've gotta find better avenues to tell that story. And what I hope is that this project and this kind of reimagining the way we think about ourselves in schools is gonna help us be more effective uh, in telling that story. There's a really interesting mix of people in this room today. Um, and, and that's, I think, School Finder did a great job of putting together this kind of really interesting mix of public school folks. Um, and what I hope is that we can learn from each other, that geographic boundaries don't necessarily keep us from telling each other uh, our stories. When we have our principals together um, in their monthly meeting, they sit in this massive room, right? This huge room. We have 120 some principals. They sit in this big room and it's in some cases probably the only opportunity they have to share great ideas with each other because all of you are incredibly busy, right? There's just not a lot of that opportunity in the day to day. I hope that today you'll have that opportunity, not just with people in your school district or in your organization, but people across tables. All of us have great stories to tell and I think we can, we can leverage those for each other and raise the, the image, if you will, of public schools in San Antonio and in Bear County. And that is a great goal to have, right? That is, a, that is a wonderful goal to have. So thank you so much for being here today. Go get another mimosa. You're not gonna have this opportunity very often. I hope that you have a great day and I really hope that all of us come away with skills that will emphasize the great work that is going on in San Antonio Public Schools. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, Dr. Woods. Okay, everybody has a glass. Maybe there's different things in it, but there's School Finder on all of them. Let's raise a glass to an amazing day of learning and fellowship. Cheers. All right, who's ready to get started? Ooh, those mimosas haven't kicked in yet. Who's ready to get started? All right, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Carlos Maestas, who is the um, owner and founder of an organization called Key Ideas. And Carlos and Jen Maestas are going to be leading today's learning. Um, and he is going to introduce Miss Education and the panel that's going to come up next. So can you please join me in warmly welcoming Carlos Maestas. Thank you, Dahlia. Guys, it's such an honor to be with you today. Um, I am, am so, so proud uh, to have uh, a room full of educators in this room you know, today. And, and, and look, I'm not an educator, so I'm the least qualified person you'll be hearing from today. Um, but I, both parents were educators, and I married an educator. And so when I first got married to an educator, I, th I think I forgot what it was like growing up in a house full of educators, because when that alarm went off at 4.45 in the morning, and I was like, what, what, what's going on? What, what? And, and she was like so happy to be awake. Like she, I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? She's like, I'm, I'm getting ready for school. I was like, did you start night school? It's... It's dark outside. What are you doing? Um, and she was so happy, and I couldn't understand why she would be so happy. Uh, because, look, I'm an entrepreneur, which means I, I own my own business. I set my schedule, which means I get up shortly after the sun does, if not, you know, or whenever I, I want to get up. So to be married, 
to be married to an educator is, is a different thing. And, uh, and it took a little bit of a, a, an adjustment. Um, and, and I'm just really proud that we, we have an opportunity to kind of get together and do this work because I think uh, educators are the salt of the earth. They really are. You guys are doing the most important work in the city. Um, and so we've done this, this workshop uh, for many different audiences, but never a room full of principals, a room full of leaders uh, of this caliber. Um, and so um, I, I want to do something right now because the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to uh, do a podcast recording. Um, and so being a husband of a principal uh, means that you also get to play therapist, right, at 7 p.m. when she gets home, right? Because you're not, you, you, people think that you get to go home at like a reasonable hour, which I understand is not true, right? So I, I know what it's like to uh, be a cheerleader, to be a, a therapist. And, you know, Jennifer would come home and uh, she would tell me about how her day went. And I remember the stories that she would share with me and thinking, man, like I had no idea, right? Like nobody really truly understands the work that you do like you do and, and the people that you go home and tell those stories to. And I remember thinking as a storyteller, like how valuable those stories are. Because that's what I do for a living is tell stories. And we get to work with organizations. We've worked with school districts. Um, we've worked with uh, uh We've worked with many nonprofits that are doing work uh, specifically related to education. And we're always looking at, like, what is that one thing that makes you different? Um, and how do we highlight those stories to try to create an emotional response and get people behind the work that you're doing? And I remember thinking, listen, all I can do is listen and be there and give you a hug. But these stories are so wasted on me, right? Um, because there's other people that really need to be hearing about them. So... I'm so, so excited that uh, I guess earlier last year, um, Geek, a group called Geekdom Media approached Jennifer about doing a podcast called Miseducation. Um, and it's specifically related to San Antonio, the San Antonio education uh, scene. And so right now, I want you to do one thing for me, if you can. I want you to, if, if this is the only time you do it, if you could just take out your phone. And if you have an iPhone, you can go to i. Uh, iTunes or the podcasting app, and I want you to look up Miss Education, and you're going to see a graphic that looks like this. And if you don't have an iPhone, you can go to Spotify, or um, I think it's on also uh, what's the? It's on Spotify. It's on pretty much the Pandora, the 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 any like streaming app that you may have, and it's just spelled M I S S Education. Download the app. Um, these are your stories, guys. These are your stories. Uh, it's for educators from educators' perspectives, and um, there's a whole season uh, that uh, is online. And I, I'm just going to brag for a second. Um, within that first week, uh, this podcast got down to number 17 on all the podcasts uh, specific to education that exist. A San Antonio podcast got down to number 17. It's had over 7,000 downloads. Um, so a lot of people are listening, and not just in San Antonio. The work that's being done here is so important. So I love that people are hearing stories coming out of San Antonio to inspire them, really, no matter where they're doing education. Um, so if you can download that podcast, um, do it now. And so I'm going to introduce my wife, who's going to do a, uh, we have a wonderful panel that's going to be here, and we're going to do a live podcast recording here. Um, so Download the app. You can hear that and many other episodes. There's a whole season, and this will be uh, an episode in the second season on miseducation. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Miss Education, Jennifer Maestas. Hey, guys. You guys can come on up, all the panelists. We're, we're ready. I don't know what else to say. That was embarrassing. Thank you, Carlos. Um, also forgot that I have this other microphone, so I don't really need this one. I love doing the podcast, although I did not know I would love doing... Can you guys hear me? I didn't know I would love doing a podcast. I've never done a podcast. I don't listen really to talk radio unless... It's okay. I got it. Unless uh, I'm forced to listen to talk radio because I'm driving in Carlos's car. Um, so anyway, I did not know that I would like doing it, but when a, our friend Lorenzo asked if I would, 
I said, tell me what that looks like. And he said, we have a recording studio. It's not live. We can edit. Um, and it would be you talking to your friends, people that you know, a few people that I know. Um, and I said, can I bring wine? And he said, yes. And I said, OK, done. I will be there. So that's really what we've done. I have gone to a recording studio. Um, Jean and Diego were both guests in season one, and I have some new lovely faces up at the table with me today for season two, and I'm going to give them time to introduce themselves in just a second. Um, it is live. Uh, it's Today, we're doing the, re the podcast recording, um, and you guys are going to be a part of it, so feel free to chime in, give a little shout out if you know the people up here at the table. And we really wanted to capitalize on the fact that all of you were in the room at once and had mimosas in front of you. So cheers <laughs> to that. Um, like Carla said, I, I have been an elementary school principal. I was principaling for five years uh, in SAISD. I, this is my 19th year in SAISD, which blows my mind a little bit because I'm, I'm very young. So it's weird that I've been doing this for so long. Um, but my kids go to SAISD. I'm very invested in SAISD. I, I live in SAISD. I, I went to SAISD schools growing up. Uh, I graduated from Northside, so if Northside's in, in the house, I graduated from business careers um, at my parents' insistence. I loved my SAISD schools. When I, when I graduated from college and came back, I knew that that was where I wanted to teach. I taught fifth grade for seven years and then became a school administrator. I see many of my former colleagues in the room, so thank you. I love you guys. Thank you for being here. And today I'm just excited because I can't recall in the 19 years that I was a full-time school educator in SEIC, a time when we had mimosas all together um, professionally, and we were, I don't remember a time when we had so many school districts represented in the same room unless we were at a really content-specific conference. And so this, to me, feels very different, and it, honestly, it feels very good. And I'm excited because our panelists, they all have a direct connection to the work that's being done in San Antonio um, in the education landscape, and they have a unique perspective. So I've given them some questions to think about today, and we're just going to have a conversation with each other. And the first thing we're going to do is do a little introduction. So that's who I am, and you guys can share the mic. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jean Russell, and I have a sort of uh, non-traditional education story, if you will. I came, uh, I was a teacher right out of um, college, um, became an education journalist for about a decade, and then I went over and worked for uh, Mayor Harberger and Mayor Castro doing education policy. Um, so worked on pre-K for SA, Cafe College, and initiatives like that. Um, helped create SA 2020, which some of you may have heard of, and then moved into education consulting. And so one of my primary projects now is that I uh, work for the nonprofit Centers for Applied Science and Technology, which is a partnership with area public schools, some of whom are in the room. So that's my journey. Give it up for Jean, you guys. All right, my name is Diego Bernal. I'm the, your friendly neighborhood state rep for House of Chick 123, which you're in right now. I'm a public school guy, so I started off in Northeast at Almost Elementary, then went to Arnold Elementary, the Foya Middle School, went to Brackenridge High School for a year, got kicked out, finished off at Jefferson. Um, it's, that is my favorite part of the story. Um, when, when I became a, a lawyer, I was a civil rights attorney and litigated school finance for the Mexican American Legal Defense, sort of continuing the Edgewood cases. And now I'm the vice chair in the House Committee for Public Education, having just finished uh, co-authoring HB3, which is a $9.5 billion investment in the public education that I, I the, which I am, I, I, just like the Brackenridge part, which is short and sad, uh, the HB3 part is short and sad because of the H. So the House, which I am in, has done a very good job the bill has now been sent to the Senate, and so most of my night last night was learning about all the terrible things they're going to do to the bill. So the, we, we think that the, the dollar amount might stay the same, but the way that it's invested will look different. And so I'd say over the next six weeks, we should all be pay very, very close attention to make sure that those dollars are going to the classroom and to the teachers and not allow that bill to become a Trojan horse for simply property tax relief. But that's sort of where I'm at. That's my story up to the minute. Got it. Thank you. 
Um, good morning, everybody. So I, it, it's hard to follow Diego with uh, all of the, the awesome things that he's doing right now in Austin for us. He is our number one champion in the house, so thank you for everything. Um, my name is Marisa Perez-Diaz. I'm the um, State Board of Education member for District 3. You are also in my district. I represent um, the majority of Bear County down into the Rio Grande Valley, so Hidalgo, Star, Jim Hogg, Jim Wells, for any of you Valley folks. Um, <clears throat> so I'm also a public school girl through and through. I'm a, an SAISD kid, Woodlawn Elementary, Horseman Middle School, um, that's now Young Women's Leadership. Uh, wish it was there when I was in school. Um, and uh, I was a, an Edison Bear, um, forced to be an Edison Bear. I actually <laughs> lived in Jefferson High School area, um, but my mom wanted me to try something different. Um, and then went to UTSA and UT Austin for, um, for college. And so um, I also had an, an alternate route into education. I started off my career fresh out of college at, uh, in child welfare. I was working for Child Protective Services. And in my experiences there, um, I, I was thrown into education on a regular basis and was moved by anger, like most of us who serve in public office are, um, and decided to run for the State Board of Education and um, have been on the board now for six years. Love the, love the work that I do, but um, as individuals in education, as leaders in education, you all understand that we don't get a lot of support in Austin, aside from our friend here. Um, sometimes public education is the, the, battered, um, the battered but most important policy that we need to be focusing on, and so um, it's a struggle at the state board as well. And so I just thank you all for being here this morning. It's really exciting to see such a group of diverse um, leaders in education, and um, I'm excited to learn from you all today, too, so thank you. Bienvenidos a todos. Welcome. Um, my name is Teresa Mayfield, and I am like the roadmap of uh, life. I started my education at Little Flower and then went to Incarnate Word, I, but I grew up deep in the West Side. My parents were SAISD uh, graduates, and they wanted me to attend private school, but I always had that mentality that I was going to come back and give to the school, a private school education to the best of the ability I could possibly do. Um, I started out as a pre-nursing major at UTSA. I got all the way accepted to going into the Health Science Center. It wasn't my, my doing. It was my mom's, fulfilling my mom's wishes. But go through life, get married, have children. So at 40, my dad asked me, who just recently passed in September, asked me, Mija, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, Dad, I want to go back to school and get my teacher certification and get my degree in bilingual education. He goes, pues vámonos. And so él se fue conmigo a UTSA, and we, we registered together, and he, he actually attended some of my classes with my mom, with Dr. Milk and Dr. Joe Bernal, and, and I, I made them so much part of it. So they got to see the graduation. And ever since then, um, I wish we could take this podcast to my classroom because that's where my passion is in the classroom because my kids, well, well let's do it. And so um, I feel very grateful because at 40-ish, más o menos, I uh, went to Storm Academy <laughs> and I'm uh, interviewing with the principal, Angela Dominguez, with all these young and vibrant. I go, who's going to want a senior citizen teacher to start, you know, as a second career? And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please. I called my, my cousin, Trisha Davila, who's here. And I said, pray for me. I called my other cousin, Harold Maldonado, at that time, pray because he was another principal. I said, please pray for me, Harold. And as a kid, I used to call him Huevo. But anyway, <laughs> so um, they, Miss Dominguez actually took a chance on me. And Miss Marielena Mesa, was one of my mentors. Sonia Mora was another one at Storm where I started. And I feel so blessed and so honored. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, very nervous. But um, so um, tomorrow, I mean, next month is my birthday, and I want to offer this up to my dad because without him, this wouldn't have been possible. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Abby Morton Garland, and I'm a principal at Kipp University Prep High School. Uh, I'm from San Antonio, but after college, I wanted to see the world, so I uh, began my teaching career at an international school just outside of Guatemala City in Guatemala. And from there, moved back to the Rio Grande Valley, uh, where I taught for 10 years before moving back home to San Antonio and to, uh, to Kipp University Prep, and I've been a school leader there. For the, past, um, for the past five years. 
I am really proud of my school. We're, we're um, one of the only open enrollment international baccalaureate schools in the city. And so what that means is regardless of a student's IEP, regardless of a student's ability to speak English, we have no tracks. So students are all in the international baccalaureate diploma program, which is a really rigorous program. They all have to write 4,000 word essays. We make them do projects. Um, and we, we have them sit through college preparatory classes. Uh, and so this idea of, of college for all students, uh, not necessarily so that they have to go, but so that they have the choice is, has been part of my passion in education. So I am also really honored to be here. So thank you for having me. Oh, thank you guys. Thanks. Well, you know, the, the um, entire day today is going to be built around telling the story, telling your personal story, and telling a school story. So I'm, I'm just wondering if you guys would indulge us in maybe sharing a school story, something about your school experience. It can be something from edu uh, elementary, middle school, high school, college, um, just something that shaped the work that you're doing today. Um, maybe a little piece of why is, why is this so important to you um, that would give us some insight to share with everybody else. And we each bring to the table an, exper an education experience, um, and that is why we're doing what we're doing. So let's just get started. Who wants to go first? Okay, Abby. So I, I say I'm from San Antonio, but my dad was in the Air Force, so we moved around a lot, and San Antonio is where we landed. Um, and I, I'm also dyslexic, and so a lot of my school experience was really fraught. I had terrible grades. Um, I wasn't a strong student. I didn't like school. I felt a lot of times invisible. School was hard for me. Uh, when we moved to San Antonio, I was in 11th grade, and so it was a hard move. My life was ending. Um, I, I very dramatically got relocated. Um, but when we, when we moved here, I lost all my friends, and for the first time in my high school career, I had, to, I had to focus, and the only thing I had to do was homework. And suddenly I started to make A's. And suddenly, because I was in a new school, uh, my teachers began to say, oh, you're, you're the smart one. And, and I remember the first time someone asked if they could copy my homework. And I was like, nah, I know this trick. Like, this is my move. Like, you can't ask me for my homework. Do your own. <laughs> and I, I realized that so much of, uh, of the way that we've constructed school has to do with a teacher's perspective of a student and a school's perspective of a student and a student's perspective of his or her himself. And... The reality is, is all of us, including our students, don't know what's inside of them to do. Uh, and a lot of times our potential, um, that we put lids on potential uh, through labels, through tracks. Uh, and so I think because of my own dyslexia, because of my own experience in school, I realized that when suddenly those things were removed, I could perform. Uh, when, when I wasn't a certain person, I could rise above that, both in my own mind and in a classroom. And so that's really informed the way that, that I was a teacher in a classroom and then also the way that I try to run my school, uh, encouraging students and teachers to see the highest, best person uh, in, in their students. I love that you said that, um, you know, you don't even know what's in you. And I think that's very common. Like, I I find the pattern in my own life is that I don't know what I want to do until I'm already doing it. And it's usually because someone else has pushed me to. And a lot of the times, um, the people that have pushed me to do the thing have been my, my teachers. But in my adult life, also my principal colleagues, uh, my mentors. So I totally resonate with that. Um, so I'll say my, unfortunately, my aha moment, life-changing moment in education didn't come until I um, decided I was going to go back for my master's. Um, and it's unfortunate because that, for me, should have happened, I think, in K-12 education. Growing up in the public school system, I was always with the smart kid. Um, I was the one that people copied off of. I was the <laughs> one that, you know, was there, the teacher's pet. Um, I was like your proverbial, like, you know, star student. Um, so I went to college, and when I got to UT Austin, it was it was completely mind-blowing for me. I was not prepared at all in the least. I didn't know how to study. I didn't know um, how to interact with individuals who uh, were from different backgrounds like mine. I became nervous. I... I I experienced very quickly the fact that I didn't feel like I belonged there. There were individuals around me who had a lot more money, um, who came from privilege, who just had experiences that I had. I mean, they were so alien to me. Um, and so I struggled my first two years uh, at UT. And I also was the very first person in my family to go to college. So I had nobody to tell me 
how to navigate that. I had to figure it out on my own. Um, I wish somebody would have told me that your first two years in your bachelor's program are critical because that establishes your GPA. I graduated by the grace of God in four years because I did not want to be a statistic that came back home. Um, and so, but my GPA was terrible when I graduated. I barely graduated. Um, and so I applied to, for a master's program twice and was denied. Um, and I've never shared that with anybody. I wanted to go back to school so bad, but because of my GPA, I just, nobody would take me. So, um, my last shot, you know, third time's a charm. I applied for UTSA um, in their USLC program. So it's the Urban School Leaders Collaborative Program, and it is a social justice-oriented program. I sat down with their um, their professors, two of them who are who changed my life forever, um, and they they really told me, "Look, Marisa, we know that you know you had really bad grades in college, and." Um, <laughs> We don't know what happened, but we understand that you were probably 18 and completely out of your element. So we're going to give you a shot, but you're going to have to commit yourself fully. And I was like, I will do anything. Like I, I am, and at this point, I was already on the state board of education. I had done a bunch, and 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 you know, so I I feel like I was so committed. I told them like I am in this work on a daily basis. I will do everything I can to advance because because I'm in the work. I need to I need to prove to the educators who have done this for their lives that I, I'm right there beside you and I understand the struggle, but I can't just do that in words. I have to do it in action and I have to continue to grow in my own, um, in my own um, work, in my own professional life. I want to be a lifelong learner. I just need somebody to give me a shot. And these two individuals did. And I am forever grateful to them because now I, I am in a point where I have the opportunity to continue advancing my education. Um, but I wish that I had had educators early on that paid attention to me because I was an easy student, because I was smart. You know, nobody told me about the programs at UT that could have helped low-income families. Nobody told me because Marisa was going to do great. She'll land on her feet no matter where she goes, and I didn't. I landed flat on my face. I was on probation my first semester at UT, and it was hard. Um, and so I think that some th sometimes what we do in K-12 is it's easy not to pay attention to the smart kids, because they're gonna they're gonna be fine, and that's not true. I was a smart kid that was not fine, um, and so I think that that's some, sometimes we we lose that because it's just it's it's easier. And so um, I, I again will be forever grateful to my professors at UTSA, and um, and that was life changing for me. Awesome, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Anybody else? So. Um, Many of my experiences in education, like Abby's, were sort of informed by this issue of tracking, which I believe is one of the most pernicious forces in our society, this labeling of children that prevents them from rising to their true potential. But um, when, when I was, uh, my first job out of college was I taught um, middle school in East Harlem, and I taught in a bilingual school. So. Um, East Harlem at that time, which was many years ago, it was the first um, public school district in the country that was an entirely choice district. So I had the experience of, um, first of all, it was heavily tracked. So we had three tracks, and they were literally like the low track, the high track, and the immigrant track. So that was a really um, eye-opening experience. Um, so these kids were already sort of, their trajectory was kind of dictated by the track. Um, but when we went through the process of them applying to high school, I was speaking with some of the parents of some of my stronger female students who told me, I'm not allowing my daughter to go to high school because the high school to which she was admitted is in such an unsafe area of the city that they're just not going to go to high school. And that was a really profound, that, that, I go back to that experience. Now, we don't have any situations like that at all in San Antonio. New York City is a very different place, and this was many, many years ago. But it solidified for me that I am a big believer in providing different options for young people, but we need to make sure that all of those options are good options and safe options. So it has to be both, we have to work harder to provide that diversity of choice for young people and families, but we can never relegate any children to schools that are unsafe. We have to have a systems approach. And so that was, that was like a, a, an experience that I will, I it sort of grounded everything I've done since then. 
All right, mine's, mine's sort of like a constellation. One is, is realizing in, in middle school that the smartest person in my family was my uncle, um, who had been a farm worker early on in life, but then realizing that same year that he couldn't read, that he was illiterate. And so I realized there was a disconnect there between talent and, and education, and we had, to, we had to bridge that gap. Then when I was in my senior year, our, our English or language arts professor said, who wants to take the AP English exam? And a whole bunch of us raised our hand just wanting to do it. And then she said, okay, great, we're going to start meeting before school to study for it because Jefferson didn't offer the class. Mm -hmm. 25 of us signed up, 23 of us showed up the first day, and by the end, I think five of us took it and three of us passed. After passing, going to my counselor saying, hey, I want to apply to certain schools. I'd pick Michigan out of the blue. Don't ask me how I did that. And she told me to be realistic, which meant we're doing that shit for sure, right? <laughs> Yes. Like, we're Amen. really, this is going to happen now. <laughs> but, but, then, but then when I got to Michigan, I met, I met a student the very first day in the hallway who was from Long Island. And that student explained to me that he was, he was a sophomore, even though it was his first day in college. And I asked him how. And it's because he had taken every course of his senior year was an AP course. So here I am coming from Jefferson where we didn't, have, we didn't offer a class that I had to study for and get the credit for. And he was coming into this school where every one of his courses was an AP course. And I thought, well, how are students from Jefferson supposed to compete if there are things beyond their control that are going to dictate whether or not they get into a school like the University of Michigan or any school at that matter? And then the last part was when I finally went to class at Michigan. I think it was Sociology 101. I was totally freaked out. I got an F on my first exam, but I majored in Sociology at the end. <laughs> I realized after the first two or three weeks that none of the students in those classes or any smarter than my classmates from Tafoya or Brackenridge or Jefferson. And so the idea that all those students ended up at that school and very, very few of, the, of my peers ended up at that school or schools like that or any school made me realize that something was wrong systemically. It had nothing to do with talent and everything to do with the outlay of opportunities they had. And so I think that's what motivated me to sort of make this part of my life's work. And I, I fully believe that that education is like milk and coffee. The more of it you add, the more everything else changes. Any problem you think of, for the most part, the more education you throw at it, the better those problems get. There's very, very few things like that. Agreed. Totally agreed. What's milk and coffee? Yeah. We want more milk. Cream and coffee? Booze and coffee? Champagne? Champagne, Champagne and, and orange juice? The orange juice. Yeah. I, I, uh, what, what I was thinking about when you were talking, everybody was that a lot of times you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes you get locked into wherever you are. You become very building-centric or neighborhood-centric, and that's what you think of, and you attack the problems that are right there in front of you because that's the priority. You're standing right in front of it. You have to tackle that problem. Um, but when you realize, when you leave wherever you are, you leave your neighborhood, you leave your city, you leave your state, you leave your school building and you go somewhere else and you realize like you have an aha moment where you're like, wait a minute, why are, why are they doing things either harder or easier than I thought it had to be? And where did I miss that turn? Like, how did I not know that that's what was happening? And that honestly is what's so exciting. When I decided to, about today, is that now we have a lot of different people from a lot of different places all at the same place, and we're going to give lots of time to, to talk and mingle, and hopefully that's already happened a little bit. But when I left my full-time principal position, it was for a lot of different reasons, but one, one of the gears that I was shifting was that I felt like I was really disconnected. I was really disconnected from what was happening in the bigger picture, and I, had, I would get glimpses of bigger picture stuff because Carlos works with nonprofits and many of the non, most of the nonprofits in San Antonio have a direct touch to education. And so I would hear big picture stuff or he would tell me, hey, we're going to film the pre-K 12 forum um, on Wednesday. Can you go? And I'm like, yes, on a Wednesday at 7, sure. I can't. I'm running a school. Like, I just can't step away. It's more work. And you guys can give me an amen if you, this is true. It's so much more work to leave my school on a school day than it is to miss whatever big talk was going was gonna to happen. And so I frequently opted to stay on the campus. But I, I knew that the conversations were happening. 
Um, and when I finally decided that I was going to take a step back and work part-time, um, because I have three children, two of one in high school, one in middle school, and one who is in preschool, and a dog, a cat, a husband, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, it's just a lot of things, and I thought, I'm going to take a minute. And I had another idea, um, which was to create a, a network all the way across San Antonio, across genres in education, because that's the other thing I felt. Like, I don't know who any of, I don't know the real work that's being done in charter systems either, but I hear a lot of things. And I don't know if they're right, and I don't know if they're accurate. Um, I don't know what's happening at the state board level, but I hear a lot of things. I don't know what's happening, um, you know, at the Capitol, but I hear a lot of things. So I just thought, what if, what if we all came together and we talked about those things? So if it's okay with you guys, I think, and if it's okay with everybody else in the room, that we're going to see if there's maybe one or two questions that are burning on your mind that you would like to ask any one of us. Um, and I don't know where the other microphone went, but I think Lizzie is going to walk. We really don't have, we really have time for like two, maybe three questions. Does anybody have something you want to ask? Oh my gosh, you guys. Jesse, okay, I know Okay, take you another did. drink of your mimosa. Think hard. When a room gets quiet, it's time to speak. <laughs> I think we're, we're all principals and we, we're all faced with that unknown every day. Uh, we have a lot of questions. We have a lot of concern with the state exam. Uh, we open up the newspaper and we read that our third graders are taking a fifth grade test. Uh, our administration is on our backs about why aren't you moving children? And we are, we're in classrooms every day. We see the fantastic work that our teachers are doing every day. We know that we have children coming to school with large academic gaps and we welcome them with open arms because we are educators and that's what we do. But I'm here today because I think it's important that we tell our story, not only to the community at large, we need to make our parents feel safe, and know that we are doing the best we can to educate their babies. A lot of our parents are uneducated. They left high school, started having children. They made bad choices in life, but they love their children. And they trust that when they drop their children off, we're going to love their children to do the same. Help us understand at the state level what is going on with state testing. All right. So let's let's uh, I'll, I'll give you the brief overview of the, the state of the star and the potential controversy around the star. The issue with the star is this. Everybody knows what a lexile is. Right. So the, the bottom line with the star is that when it comes to reading and readability, that it could very well be that let's say you let's say everyone here is a third grade reading teacher. So you're you're educating your kids. You're focusing on, let's say, lexiles that are between, let's say, a two point eight and a 4.2, right, to get your readability scores there. You're, you're, using the, you're using the diagnostic measures you're supposed to use. You're using the textbooks and the materials. You're finding your own materials. You're doing it all the right way, and then you realize at the end, after your students don't score as well as every other diagnostic has told you, that the state's scoring mechanism has meets. To be at meets, everybody, everybody this is like the one crowd that's going to get all this. <laughs> To get to meets on the star scoring, you've got to be like at a 4.2, 4.3. And master's is even higher. And no one knew it, right? So, in, so the first part is that the, the issue is that the scoring of the star and the Lexile piece and the readability piece are significantly above meeting grade level, meeting lowercase m, not big case m. That's the first part. The second part is there might be a readability issue itself. So it's not just the scoring, but it might be the passages themselves are written in such a way that they're not appropriate for the age of the students doing it. Now, put that on the left. On the right, let's also remember that even if we were to adjust all these things, we still have issues with third grade reading. So it's not like all of our kids are actually reading and killing it. It's that there might be a gap between what the score is and what the reality is. So there, there are a series of bills, one of which is mine, that would require there to be an accountability pause on STAR while we take a year to study the readability and the Lexile scoring. Um, the way we have it set up is a TEA gets to pick whoever they want to do the evaluation, but we also put in UT Austin, AM, and Tech to do the peer review of that readability study, and then all four have to present to the legislature in December. Um, 
there's a, there's a compromise that's being pushed that says you don't do the accountability pause until after you discover something is wrong, but we are still asking for a pause on promotion and school closure so that the promotion piece can be done at the local level and then school closure, that's so drastic that we put a pause on that. I can't tell you, the state of the bill in the House is pretty healthy. Um, I think we're gonna vote it out of committee this week. It'll go to the House floor. I think politically people have no choice but to vote for it once again when it goes to the Senate. That's a whole, that's a whole different universe and I couldn't tell you how that's gonna go. But that, that is the state of the star, that is the controversy, that is the, the proposed compromise solution which I recognize and admit to you is not as aggressive as I'd like it to be but I think it's the one that we can get enough votes for. When it gets to the Senate, I cannot tell you what they're going to do with it because I cannot tell you what they're going to do about anything. I just don't know. That answer your question? Thank you. Good morning. And thank you so much for sharing your stories. I mean, it's really wonderful to um, everyone in here in this, in this room can connect with each of the stories that you've just kind of told. Uh, my question is more for Marisa and for Diego. I mean, as being inner city um, graduates from high schools in San Antonio ISD, both of you really felt unprepared going on to major universities, Michigan and UT Austin. It's an initiative from Superintendent Martinez to make sure that we're really making gains in that, and we truly are if you look at the data. But um, my question is, what more can our schools do so that when our graduates do go off outside of San Antonio, they feel prepared and know that they're going to be successful. I mean, you guys are the pioneers of making this happen. And again, thank you for sharing your stories. But as I'm hearing that, and I'm a school principal myself, I'm going, okay, like, what can I do? You know, what can I do to make sure that when our kiddos leave the downtown area, the west side, the east side, you know, that they go off to these top universities that they go in there with the ganas that they know that they're gonna be successful, so. Um, so thank you for that question. I think that um, for me, the, the first, first and foremost, I think what's really critical is, um, and, and Diego's doing an amazing job trying to, trying to champion this move in, in um, stepping away from high stakes testing is, is really critical because what that is connected to is um, the lack of the humanity in education. We don't see that anymore because, our, unfortunately, our educators, our administrators are so focused on meeting that, you know, meeting that accountability measure, meeting that, you know, are, are we hitting that metric? You know, okay, well, let's let's move to the next one. And and I think that in that, what we lose is is the human piece of what education really means. And and I can speak from experience in that. What would have helped me is if there was more engagement with my family, more preparation with my parents on what college. Um, what I should expect going into college because we had no support in that. You know, for me, it was like, well, wonderful, Marisa is going to advance to college. It's a, that's an SAISD graduate that's going, going to college. One more person, one more notch in the belt. And, and, and for me, that's wonderful. I'm glad I was able to help with that. But that doesn't mean anything to me when I step onto this campus and am lost. And so one of the critical pieces, I think, in education that we really need to focus on is, um, is that family engagement piece. Um, for me, it's, it's, like, it's a passion of mine to make sure that we're communicating with our families because um, for many, a, a high, higher education is it's alien. It's not something that was ever within the reach of possibility, right? And so now that their students are, you know, my child is going to college, fantastic, but I don't even know how to help them navigate that. Um, so I think that, you know, what we can do, and, and it's, it's a big ask because our principals, our, our teachers are already stretched so thin, but if, if we can do a better job in public education to help our families through the process, um, I think that, you know, because our, our, our families are the number one educator, you're the, that's the very first educator that a student will ever, a child will ever encounter. And so when we help support our families and help them, that you know, I, I, I just heard a story. There's, there's a graduate out of SAISD who's, um, who's, who's got all kinds of possibilities ahead of her, but because her family is very cultural, they're very, um, very uh, old school thinking, they're not allowing her to go. 
Um, and, and that's such a shame to me because that opens up so many possibilities, not just for her, but for her family. And so when we, when we bring families into the conversation, when we tell them, hey, you have a network of support around you, your student will succeed and we all will see it happen because we all love and care for your child. Um, I think that that's a message that really resonates with, with, you know, at least people like me, right? Families that grew up the way that I did. And I think that that's the majority of ours. Yeah, I guess all that I would add to that is is one of the things that I've seen over and over again is that if we if we double down on literacy, high literacy, that it, a lot of things flow from that. I think sometimes we're scrambling to add all of these different pieces to make something more attractive or interesting as possible. But if we don't get the literacy piece right, everything else suffers. And if we do get the literacy piece right, everything else gets better. And so I think we shouldn't be shy about doubling down on literacy. I also think that that... There needs to be a distinction between folks like she and I in terms of what we've been able to do. But one thing I've, I've realized is that we, we confuse achievement and talent. Yeah. The talent exists everywhere. Talent is distributed evenly. Opportunity is not. And I think if we start talking to and reaching our students and letting them know that it's not just a bunch of normal kids and a few really talented ones, but there's a lot of really talented kids and that we're struggling and scrambling and scraping to get them as much opportunity as possible, they will respond accordingly. I think the imposter syndrome is a huge issue when you get to college. And then I'll say that I think we also can't, we can't, we ourselves as educators, you as educators, um, and in particular your, your superintendents, need to aim high in terms of the way they talk about it. I'll give you an example. If, if, we're, if we assume that all of our kids are only going to go to a certain kind or level of school, then our schools in every way will reflect that. When I got to the University of Michigan, that's when I saw the internet and email for the first time. I thought it was some James Bond thing. I was like, look, look, I'm going to write this on my screen. It's going to pop up on your screen. It was amazing, right? <laughs> but, yeah, I'm dating myself. Uh, but, but my point is that, that we, have, we, we have to ensure that in all those ways we're not disadvantaging our students, but more than anything, I think it's convincing them that they are 100% capable and then giving them the tools. And I think high literacy is the, is the best one because when you have that, you can pretty much navigate for the most part everything else. And if you don't get that part right, if you don't get that part right, everything else is a challenge. Agreed. Thank you. Thank you for that question. I, so we're going to wrap up this podcast session um, with a final thought from each of us to this group of wonderful principals. We have all encountered many principals in our lives. Um, some of us, our principals have been principals. Uh, and so I know that you have lots of thoughts running in your, in your brains right now. Um, and I want to give you an opportunity to kind of now put it back out to the audience. Like, what is it that you would say Imagine that principle in your mind, you know, you know the principle that you had. What would you say to them? Because these, these ladies and gentlemen that are sitting in front of us, they really represent all of the principles um, in San Antonio. This is a huge cross-section of the city. We did a roll call earlier. You guys know who's here. It's amazing. Um, so what do you, you want to leave them with as we wrap up our, our podcast episode? And who wants to go first? So, um, just like people have stories, I think schools have stories, and I think each one of your schools has a unique story, and I think really getting clear on what that story is and how you tell that story, and how you tell it to different audiences. So, I work with the Centers for Applied Science and Technology, and we tell us, I think we tell a very clear story to um, the community about how we are partnering with employers to really what we do what we call like the long interview to help stair-step young people into both college and careers. But we're still working on how do we tell that story to children and families. And I think something that all of you need to think about is what's, what's my story as an educator, which we all sort of did here, but also what's my story as a school. My children um, went to Bonham Academy which um, is a dual language campus here in town. And that one of the things that I thought was most compelling about that school was it really had a very unique story of its connection to the neighborhood. Um, it was featured on a like, this place matters. And there was this very strong sense 
of purpose and community at that school when they were going there. So I think really thinking about what is what makes my school special, what is special about my community, and how do you tell that to the parents who are looking for those answers about safety, about nurturing, about love? What what is the essential ingredient of, of your school? All right, we'll go in order. I've already talked a lot, so I'll just say this. I think that at a minimum, it's important that the people in this room, and this is why it's so powerful, is that we're all collaborators, we're not competitors. In our city, because we have so many districts, it's easy for us to have a, competi a competitive nature and approach to this. And the truth is that our, our students really can't, they don't benefit from that. So getting everybody together under one roof to talk about the things we care about and how to advance the city, I think, is really important and really special about today. So I really thank you for being here. I like Diego. Diego have spoken a lot, but I'll, what I will say is um, I have one, my superintendent, so I work for Edgewood ISD right now, and my superintendent is fantastic, and I see our Edgewood people. Um, so uh, one thing I've learned under his leadership is talking about your why, um, and I think that's critical. I don't think I've ever had a leader um, really focus on that, and so I think it's really important because as um, your, own, your own champion for your campus, when you start communicating your why, particularly to your community, right, to your, to your neighborhood, your families, and your students, then you build champions that will tell the story for you. Um, and that's really, really important because essentially, like, you get a paycheck from the camp, from the district, from the school that you work for. But when you have community members who are legacy families who have been there for years that are now championing you and the work that you're doing, it speaks volumes. So I think when you communicate your why, why you're committed to your campus, and you talk and you, you send that message to your, your families and your students, then they will be the drivers for the storytelling. And, and it's, it's phenomenal what that does. Thank you, first of all, for being our leaders. Um, I really have been blessed to be amongst some amazing uh, leadership and admin. I still have a connection with all of them. And um, I just want to say, just don't forget that once you were a teacher and um, keep that momentum, set the tone, because just like we set the tone in our classroom, it starts with you and we feed off your energy. And um, I know it's hard, the job you do, you deal with parents, communities, children, behaviors, etc. But we just, we really look at you and we look up to you and um, you really ignite us in a positive way. So keep doing an amazing job. Thank you. So as, as a principal, I felt like I really started getting traction when I moved from leadership to courageous leadership. And I think oftentimes our efficacy involves breaking some rules uh, and not doing necessarily what is expected. So I think in, in public education, we have, we have so many expectations coming from the community, coming from parents, coming from the district office, uh, coming from the state. Um, and I think that, that when I have, have felt like our schools really gotten traction is when we focused on the students. Uh, and when we focused really, really clearly on the purpose of serving them. And I suspect as principals, we know that we've gotten clear on our purpose. We know that we're really serving our students um, when we start to get pushback from other stakeholders saying that we're not focused on the right thing. Uh, so uh, my encouragement would just be uh, ultimately we serve, we serve students and we serve their, their unknown, incredibly potential-filled futures. Uh, and, and don't be afraid. Be courageous. Uh, how can you manipulate your schedule? How can you manipulate space when people say, oh, no, you can't do that? What if you could? Well, I am just so thrilled that we had the conversation and that we're here today. And my, my ask of you guys is that this not be the only time that we meet together. Um, I think that I, I have found having sitting down and having a glass of wine with people changes the tone of the conversation. I want to echo that I do feel at times, like Diego said, that it can feel start to feel competitive because there's a lot happening and the education landscape is really shifting and it's shifting very quickly and we are building centric and we tend to know the people that we work with and the people that we used to work with. That's, that's our network. 
Um, I, I see a lot of really familiar faces in the room, but there are many faces that I don't know. And so I don't want this to be the only time that all of us come together over a glass of wine to talk about really cool education stuff. I also just want to take a quick second to thank the badass panel of people that showed up today because I really do think, I'm, I, I don't know how I landed up here, but it's amazing. And I want to say thank you. And I, I'm, I'm really grateful um, that you guys took time out of your Saturday and I don't know if you noticed, but they didn't really drink the champagne, which is slightly offensive to me because I was the only one drinking up here. But anyway, I hope that the rest of you will join me in a glass of champagne and that we have a really enjoyable rest of the day. So thank you for participating in Miseducation today. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.